I want to share with you um, a message about redemption. This is a sermon. This is a sermon series entitled "More Than a Thousand Words." Now, you've heard the expression, a picture paints a thousand words. We're going to look at a lot of pictures, pictures of redemption, both in the Old Testament, that now when you come to the new covenant in Christ, Jesus becomes the fulfillment of all of those pictures that we're going to be looking at. So today, I want you to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6. And in Exodus chapter 6, we're going to come across this concept of redemption. And we want to flesh it out because we want to be able to not just learn about it, but see what it means for us today. While you're turning there, well, we all know that uh, Tropical Storm Isaias is off the coast traveling north, and it's going to dump a lot of rain, apparently. I know our experience, personal experience with hurricanes, my wife talks about a She says she likes a good hurricane and the excitement about it. I'm not sure what a good hurricane looks like, but our hurricanes years ago in 04, when we got three of them that crossed over Orlando, I remember pulling 70 gallons of water when our electricity didn't go out using our wet dry vac, 70 gallons of water out of our carpet. It was a mess. Our house was less than five years old, and it was leaking horribly. There was a hurricane that blew past us not too long ago. Please, I'm I'm 59 years old. Give me a little grace here. I can't remember how long ago it was. Maybe it was last year. Maybe it was 10 years ago. No, it wasn't 10. But I remember the what I had put boards up. And the problem with my house is when you drill into our the wall of our house, At least on the east side, it tends to leak. So I tried to remedy that, and the remedy that I thought was going to work did not work, and it started leaking on that side of the house into our family room, carpet getting wet in like three or four places, and the stress level (laughs) just began to rise. I needed to head to bed, but I realized I can't allow our carpet to get flooded. Now, it didn't get flooded 70 gallons worth. Praise God, I'm so grateful for that. But I had to, I slept in the recliner, apologizing, of course, to my wife. I got to sleep in the family room in the recliner, and I had to set my alarm for about every hour. And every hour, I had to get up, check the spots because I had towels on them, and I would remove the towels and put fresh ones down if they were soaked. In some places, it was leaking more than others, but can I just say I barely slept that night. It was stressful. I'm just wondering what more damage is there going to be? And the the windows that I didn't board up, is something going to come flying through them? To be honest with you, that hurricane held me captive. There was fear involved. I was concerned for my home. I was concerned for my family. I was concerned maybe the electricity was going to go out. I was I I was enslaved to a task every hour because if I didn't do it, (coughs) the consequences would be too great. And so I found myself constantly for about 12 hours, every hour, checking to make sure that those towels were constantly replaced so our carpet wouldn't get flooded. I felt controlled, to be honest with you. The reality is that all of us 
in our day, every single one of us, and there's no exception, have experienced this type of control. And as I was telling the kids, that control comes from sin and the master behind it, weaving his web of deceit, is Satan himself. God comes along and he says, I want to redeem you out of that slavery. And so we're going to be looking at this concept of redemption over the next seven weeks. And what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at pictures of the Exodus. It's going to include the slavery from chapter we're going to read about in chapter 6 and how God redeemed them, brought them out, and led them across, dividing the Red Sea, parting it, so they walked across safely and how God destroyed Pharaoh and his army. And all of these we're going to see are pictures of God's redemption. Most of us just think that redemption means to buy or purchase, but the implications are far more than this. We're going to need to look at those implications and see what the exodus and the parting of the Red Sea, how they flesh out all of these pictures and implications of redemption. And then we're going to look into the New Testament. Church, if you were to to look into the New Testament to see how Christ fulfilled them. Now, if you were to look at the Old Testament, just step back and look at it, you would see that the exodus and the parting of the Red Sea is the most talked about miracle of God in the entire Old Testament. And there's a reason for this, because now when we look into the New Testament under the New Covenant, the cross and the resurrection are the most talked about miracles in the New Testament, central to our faith. This is how significant this is. So we're going to look at some of those pictures. So follow me, if you will. I'm going to be reading from, I'm going to start in Exodus 5, verse 22. And I'm going to read through chapter 6, verse 11. Okay, I'm reading from the NIV. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. I hope you feel a little bit of Moses' concern, attitude even, as he's talking with the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, now. You will see what I will do to Pharaoh because of my mighty hand. He will let them go because of my mighty hand. He will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. Now, if we were reading our Hebrew Bibles, it would say, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God almighty. El, El Shaddai. We'll come back to that. El, El Shaddai. God almighty. But by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, Yahweh. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you, underline, highlight, circle, whatever you can, redeem you 
with an outstretched arm. And with mighty acts of judgment, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. Then the Lord said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. Wow. We're going to be looking now at this concept of redemption. The word in Hebrew, ga'al, means, now this isn't a heavy, insightful thing I'm going to share with you. It means to redeem. Okay. It means to pay a ransom price in order to bring about freedom or to own. Now in the Greek, when we hear about redemption that we're going to talk about in just a few minutes, the Greek Greek word there as well means to redeem by paying the full ransom price. It means to rescue or deliver. So I hope you're initially, at least today, seeing that when God is to redeem the Israelites out of slavery, it is to bring freedom, rescue them. It is to deliver them. The, 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 this concept, though, of, uh, of redemption comes from a Greek word that means to loose. Luo, to loose, to free to dissolve or cancel a debt, forgive. As you can see, there's a lot of pictures here already starting to develop and a lot more implications. But today, I just want us to focus on freedom. If we were to have read Exodus chapter 1, we would notice several things right up front. The Bible says that a pharaoh began to sit on the seat. There was apparently a new dynasty. And in this dynasty, this first king, this first pharaoh, he knew nothing about Joseph and all that Joseph had done for Egypt. And so consequently, he began to fear the Israelites because they were growing like rabbits. They were just multiplying, multiplying. The Bible says that when the Israelites came out of Egypt, there were 600,000 men from age 20 to 50 of fighting age. Now, if you were to look at that demographic in most any population, you would notice that that is about one-fourth of the number of people. So that's why many suggest that there were over 2 million Hebrews, Jews, Israelites in Egypt And now with a new dynasty, now with a new Pharaoh, he did three things. Number one, he he began to deceive them. Out of fear, he deceived them. It says that he dealt shrewdly with the Israelites. He had a plan, but he wasn't going to tell them what the plan was. And he began to deal with them shrewdly, oppressing them, doing whatever he could to bring them into slavery, into bondage. And now they're experiencing this enslavement. The next thing that he did is that he exercised dominion over them. He oppressed them and forced them to do labor. And then he brought destruction. Boys, 
born from Hebrew women, were to be killed on the spot, thrown into the river. He was afraid that if he didn't implement this deceptive plan, the Israelites would grow so much that they would side with one of their enemies and overthrow the government. So he did this to protect himself. He was established a new dynasty, and he brought deception, dominion, and destruction in order to enslave them. I hope you're beginning to see a picture develop already. So Moses intervenes, but only, as we just read, to make matters worse. Why did God do this? God told him to go to Pharaoh, but when he goes to Pharaoh, what does Pharaoh do? Okay, Israelites apparently want to be lazy and have a vacay, so here's what I'm going to do. Take their straw, telling, talking to the slave masters, take their straw for them, from them. Now they're going to have to make bricks without straw. And it was hard. It took much longer to do, but they still had to produce the same number of bricks, so they were working harder, and they got into Moses' face. What are you doing? You're making matters worse. And Moses comes to God, and he complains, they're right, God. Why are you doing this? Was God kind of just shooting from the hip here? Hey, let's try this plan. Ah, that one didn't work. Okay, Moses, well, I'll think of another plan. No. Then he tells him, and we read about this, go tell the people. Do you read, do you see that there in verse 10? Excuse me, verse 9? Report everything that he's talking about to redemption that we're going to dig into. He says, now I want you to go tell the people. Did the people listen? They absolutely did not. Then he says to Moses, go tell Pharaoh again to let my people go. And I can just imagine Moses thinking, really, God? I remember the last time that I spoke to him and it did not go too well. Why is God having Moses do this? Why go tell the people when they're not going to listen? Why go tell Pharaoh again, let my people go when he's not going to listen? As a matter of fact, his heart is going to become even harder. God obviously is setting the stage. Now, this is important, church, because in our lives, God is setting a stage in order to display his amazing grace. But he has to set the stage. Now, in setting the stage, it seems like things get darker and darker and darker. And then come the ninth plague, it gets really dark, right? Okay. But it, every, it seems like things are going from kind of okay to really bad. God, where are you in this? I thought you were here to rescue us. Go tell them about how I'm going to redeem them, Moses. But by the way, they're not going to listen to you. Go tell Pharaoh, I'm going to bring my people out. Tell him to let them go. And all he does is harden his heart. God is setting the stage to pour out such tremendous, the New Testament calls it lavish grace. Grace that when poured out overflows in each of your life. And not just at your salvation, but throughout your life. Throughout your life, you're going to experience this amazing, powerful redemption of God. Okay? So, next week, we're going to take a closer look at this concept of ransom. Today, I want us to notice something. He reveals his name, Yahweh. Go tell him that Yahweh 
sent you. And he says, I did not make myself known to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by that name. I revealed myself to them as El Shaddai, God Almighty. Now, God Almighty, that's a pretty good translation. God, God Almighty, El, El Shaddai, God Almighty. He's the powerful one. He's the one who will open the barren womb so that Sarah can give birth to a baby. He's the one that will protect you in Egypt and in Philistia. He is the one who will oversee you and do miracles at certain points in your life. Miracle, miracle. But I did not reveal myself as Yahweh. Now, let's understand that even Adam used the the covenantal name Yahweh. So what is Moses, excuse me, what is God getting at here when he's talking to Moses? He says, they, I did not reveal myself. They knew his name. And in essence, God is saying, I am about, I am setting the stage here so that I am going to help them experience what this name means. And remember, Yahweh, which means I am, he is the ever-present one. He is the one who brought manna while they were in the wilderness once a week, right? No, every day, every day he met their need. He brought manna every single day except the Sabbath. The day before he brought twice as much so that they could gather twice as much. God also provided quail now and then. He also provided water from the rock now and then. He turned bitter water into sweet, drinkable water. He did miracles on a regular basis. Because this then revealed the covenantal nature of God's relationship, relationship with his people. Because he was going to buy them. He was going to be, they were going to be his very own. They were going to, and that's why they call them the children of Israel or the children of God. They now belonged to the one who purchased them from slavery. He was going to be that intimate God with them. Just like he is asking, will you allow me to be the intimate God that steps into every area of your life, into every single problem, no matter what you're facing? Even with the fears of the COVID-19 pandemic, let me step into that situation for you. I want to redeem that situation. I want to take that which is evil and terrible I don't want to turn it around for good, but he has to set the stage first to pour out or display his grace. And so as he is doing this, he's letting Moses know, I am now going to reveal in a very experiential way this covenantal name of mine. Now, people call me Pastor Mike. I do prefer just Mike, but some people can't get past that. They they feel the need to call me Pastor Mike. Okay, but pastor is not my name. Pastor is a title. Just like Adonai is a title given to God, the Lord. That's not his name. That's his title. Yahweh is his name, as Mike is mine. Now, Mike has a definition to it, and... I seek to live up to that, but God is the perfection of his name, the one who always is. And he associates it here with this, this concept of, of 
redemption, intimate relation. And how is he going to start this? He has set the stage and he is now in this process of redemption. He's going to extend his what? His mighty hand, his outstretched arm. And he's going to display miracle upon miracle upon miracle to win them, not just bring them out, but win them in this relationship. And I believe that God in his instituting a covenant relationship with each of us, he wants to step into our lives onto that stage set primed for an outpouring of his grace. You remember what that grace is. Grace is everything that he has that I do not, but desperately need. Let me tell you this. The Israelites needed, desperately needed God's grace to bring them out of slavery into the promises of God, specifically the promised land. Well, how about the New Testament? Here appears a picture of slavery that God has set the stage to display his grace on. How do we see that then in the New Testament? Well, in John chapter 8, you can turn there with me if you will. John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to Jews and he says this in John 8, 11. He says to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, now remember, it says who had believed him. In the Greek, it does not say who had believed in him. So at this point, they're believing certain facts, but now it's as if he crosses the line. Listen to what he says and even challenges them with. If you hold to my teaching, you will really be my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him. Are we Abra- we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Here's truth. Truth that will set you. Here's truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see, this freedom that he's talking about is this opportunity to come f- to be free from sin and now enter as a son, as a daughter, a child of God. Now, here's the promise. It's given to everyone who's a slave to sin, and it was done through the son. The son came to set you free. And if Jesus, the son, came to set you free, you will be free Indeed, do you believe that? Because the Jews here did not, they didn't even see themselves as slaves. Just like when Moses was told, hey, go tell the people, I'm going to redeem them. And they didn't believe him. Because God had to set the stage. Now, you know the story, 10 miracles. We're going to not going to look at all of those 10 miracles, but we're going to see what God does with them. To redeem them. But he's setting the stage. You're going to go tell the Israelites, my people, that I am going to purchase them as my very own, and they're not going to believe you. Can I ask you this? When you first heard the good news, how did you respond? I don't know about me. I grew up. I probably heard the gospel a hundred times 
till I was age 14. And it's as if God turned a light on and I realized my incredible need. It took God 14 years to set the stage in my life before I got it, before I realized I am lost. Going to church did not make me a Christian in any way. Now, it exposed me to the gospel. I heard it, but it was like white noise. Some of you at night, you have you turn on some white noise to help you fall asleep. Well, that's exactly what happened to me. I fell asleep. I catched 40 winks during every sermon. I was so faithful at that. <laughs> My mom's shoulder was just so soft. But the truth is, many of us, we, we really don't believe that we had, that we were slaves or are slaves. So I'm going to challenge you. See the truth. When you're sharing the gospel with people, that is going to be a difficult concept. You're a slave to sin. Well, I don't feel like a slave. That's exactly how they responded to Jesus. I'm not a slave. What are you talking about? You know what? Not only are you a slave, but it says here in Galatians chapter 3, it says right here in Galatians 3, 22, it says, but the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. A prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. <coughs> Excuse me. So Galatians, it says that, <clears throat> that we have been enslaved, we are prisoners held captive by sin. But it doesn't stop there. There's another picture, another truth that Paul tells Timothy in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, verses 25 and 26. It says this, those who oppose him, the, the servant of God who's sharing the truth, the gospel with him, those who oppose him, the servant of God, <clears throat> those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and part of that truth is you're a slave in need of God's grace, in need of God's redemption. It goes, it says this, and that they will come to their senses, just like the lost son, it says he came to his senses and went back to his father, that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Here's the truth. The truth is, that's, that the devil has brought a deception that sin satisfies and that everyone ever born on the face of this earth has experienced that deception. This sin satisfies. The truth is, though, that the sin satisfies temporarily, never completely and never more than a short time. That's the deception. We can get caught up in this deception that the devil has a dominion over us that he actually controls. That's what Paul told Timothy. You need to realize that this guy you're talking to, it's like he is caught in this web of deception and he's being controlled. The devil has dominion in his life. He is part of the kingdom of darkness held fast in chains. He cannot be freed from in his own strength. He can't do it. And lastly, the devil's destruction. Our sin separates us from God and he kills us. We've experienced death in our sin. 
and we're in great need of this freedom and to be able to have God breathe that life, his life into us, just like he did Adam when he made him a living creature physically. Now God wants to breathe his life by his spirit into the dead person, spiritually dead, to bring them to life in God and have this amazing covenantal relationship with Yahweh, God. Hmm. You know, a story is told about a, a man many, many, many years ago went to an auction Different type of an auction than what you've experienced today. This auction sold slaves. And as he was hearing of people and and coming up to the auction block and being auctioned off, a woman in tears came onto the stage in shackles. And the price was going up and up. And she looked at the men who were wanting to buy her with disdain. Who would want to buy? Well, she knew why they would want to buy her. And this man came in and he began to bid. And as the price went up, he bid higher and higher and higher until he won the bid. She came down off the stage, walked up to him and spit in his face. You bought me? to be your slave. He took hold of her hand over, got the papers necessary, paid the money, and then walked across the street to the court. And he said, I need you to stay here. Can you do that for me? And she said, yes, and proceeded to spit in his face again. He went into the court and was gone for some time. And when he came out, she was still there chained like a criminal. And he walked up to her and he handed her some papers. And she, and she said, so I guess I'm your slave for life and spit in his face again. And he said, actually, if you read these papers, they're papers of your freedom. You're free to go. And tears began to come down from her eyes. And she said, why would you do this? And he said, because my heart had compassion on you. That no one else would buy you, but that I would for this very purpose to set you free. And she looked at him as he undid the shackles on her wrists. And she said, you purchased me to be free? Then I will serve you all the days of my life. What an amazing picture of us through Christ being purchased from our slavery and addiction to sin, coming to life so that we would be able to serve this God, Jesus Christ. You may remember the illustration from last week. Maybe some of you are like that cat with his paws scratching on the table, hooked, hooked by this baited hook. You cannot be free no matter what that little tiny pet cat of mine did. Could not be free until my dad took hold of her and clipped the barb. 
Jesus wants to set you free. He wants to clip the barb. He wants you to walk in that freedom. How do we respond? How do we obtain this freedom, you ask? Amazing, excellent question. Miles Monroe just yesterday shared an experience that he had. First time that he ever jumped out of an airplane. Now, when you for, for the first time, when you jump out of an airplane, you don't have your own parachute. So he was going out of the airplane without his own parachute. But just, <laughs> it's not like he didn't have one. He was attached to a guy behind him who had the parachute. And as they inched closer and closer, and he was soon going to be hooked up to this guy, he saw each one jump off. He, the, each one had to grab a hold of the bar. And then... The wind being so strong, would when they let go, it would suck them out. Hopefully with the guy well attached, right? <laughs> and his parachute working. And so he stood there for more than just a few seconds, and the guy said, are you ready to let go? Sure, I'm ready to let go. And he still held on. Okay, well, that means you got to let go, okay? And eventually, he let go. He made it. <laughs> The parachute opened, but he wasn't the one who pulled the cord. See, faith is standing at that door in the airplane and letting go. It's surrender. It's saying, you know what? I'm in control right now, and I need to let go of that. I need to let the one who's going to rescue me take over. Have you ever done that? Have you ever let Jesus, the son who came to set you free, do that for you? He can do that by faith. But you got to let go. I want to close in prayer. I want you to know Jesus wants to redeem. That plan has not changed for over 2,000 years. He wants to set you free from slavery to be his very own and walk in that freedom. But you gotta let go and surrender. Could we have the lights? I'm just gonna pray right now. Now maybe for some of you, you've never experienced this freedom, or maybe for some of you, remember we were prisoners, we were prisoners of sin. Maybe God has at some point in your life set you free from that prison, but on your own free will, you have chosen to walk back in. He's calling you out today. Don't be a slave. Don't be a prisoner any longer. Let go. Allow him to be in control. Father, I just ask you that you would please step right now into our airplane, into our lives, and come and rescue us. Help us right now. Fear, so many questions, so many raging desires in us. It's so hard to let go. There's a dying to my plan and a surrendering to your plan. And it's got to take place. Father, I just pray right now to every heart in the midst of making that decision today. Help them. Show them, minister them let go speak to hearts call them to yourself right now God show them this amazing display of your grace for them
let go. That they would trust in you, Jesus. Rescue them right where they're at. You love them right where they're at, but you love them too much to leave them there. Call them out of that darkness. Call them out of slavery, God. Show your grace. Pour it out. Lavish each of us, God, with that grace. Thank you, Father. You're so good. We love you so much. In Jesus' name. I'm just going to encourage you. If you're wanting prayer right now, we would love to pray for you. I'm just going to ask if you would come up here so we could do that. Or if you want prayer, you could just raise your hand and we'll come to you and pray over you. But let's take a step of action this morning. Let God, through His Spirit, call you out of where you're at today in that enslavement, in that disillusionment of the sin in your life. And let Him rescue you. Father, please, right now, speak to hearts. By your spirit, by your grace, call them out. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you.